the football pod with Paddy and Andy. When Gooch gets back up into the pocket, like I remember trying to practice this for about six months after I was nearly dislocated. <laughs> he does it two or three times in the first half. It's sensational. Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now. The OTB Podcast Network with Get Set Go. Black Box Car Insurance lets young drivers bounce past high-cost premiums. Drive safe and save more with GetSetGo.ie. Oh, the shade that will get. You've got all the fans there. Can we not lock this? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladich, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. Yeah, I answer questions on anything. Uh, religious, politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Hey, welcome along to Team 33, the football happier here in Off the Ball. End a call here with you for the next hour or so. We've got a panel of guests coming your way a little later on in the show. I'll be speaking with three men who are involved in the development of football in this country. Derry City Technical Director and former Celtic footballer Paddy McCourt will be with me, along with Shamrock Rovers Academy Director Shane Robinson and League of Ireland Academy Development Manager Will Clark as we chat through the underage leagues in Ireland. The Euro group stages have come to a dramatic end, though, with a fairly mental climax in Group F. For a second there we thought that Hungary were going to go through but one goal from Leon Goretzka followed by a fairly pointed celebration made sure that that did not happen. Before the game obviously there was a lot of chat around UEFA and around the rainbow flag and what it meant and it was really pointed from Leon Goretzka and you could tell that you know what he meant by that celebration and you can completely get behind what he was doing there because I mean, before the match, the discussion was around the politicisation of football and whether the rainbow flag was part of that and what it means. And UEFA came out with one of the worst statements, probably in the history of football statements when you look at it. And and they basically said that the flag wasn't political unless it was against Hungary, in which case it was. And there's a good discussion on RTE ahead of it. Damien Duff said it best, I think, that UEFA talk about core values, but their core values is power and money that is what UEFA stand for and this has been something that I've spoken about before and the way that you know teams are treated and the way that they treat these serious issues like racism like homophobia and the punishment does not fit what is actually happening here the damage that is being done because if you think back and Damien Duff mentioned the issue with Slavia Prague and Glenn Kamara and that game and I spoke about this on the show as well and UEFA really care up until the point where it hurts their pockets. For example, this Hungary situation. Why are they pandering to Hungary? Why are they allowing this to happen? Well, it's because Hungary can host games that have full stadiums. And that money helps feed UEFA's pocket. That is why they are saying that Hungary, when you're playing against Hungary, the rainbow flag is political. UEFA stand for one thing and one thing only. That is money getting that money into their pocket making sure that they have enough money to feed the people in charge if they really cared about racism if they really cared about homophobia if they really cared about any of these serious issues which by the way are not political in any way shape or form are they political they are political in hungary because you have to deal with the situation in government where they are actually bringing in laws against these people but in terms of football Racism is not a political issue in terms of 
football homophobia is not a political issue it is an issue of someone's skin color it is an issue of of someone's desire to be loved and love someone of their own sex that is what being gay is it is not something that people choose to be it is not something that you can just decide to be it is not a side that you take you are either on the side of treating a human being like a human being or you're on the side of treating a human being as if they do not belong as part of the human race that is where homophobia and racism comes in because you don't treat someone different differently because of the color of their skin you don't treat someone differently because of the people that they choose to love so that is the way that you have to look at it apparently not because they do not do anything to actually help these people when push comes to shove and if they really cared about it no matter who the teams were no matter what the player was if things like this was happening they would just kick them out of the competition that's that's the only way that these countries these nations these fans are going to learn that it is not acceptable a slap on the wrist a fine a statement saying that it's not political unless they're playing hungry that's not going to solve the issue that's not standing up for the gay community that's not standing up against racism that is a cop-out so that was the final day it was heavily heavily loaded towards that situation in germany i'm very very glad personally that hungary are out of the competition so we don't have to deal with their fans and don't have to deal with that situation anymore but in terms of the group stages we are left with a final 16 wales denmark sweden ukraine germany england netherlands czech republic portugal belgium croatia spain and france switzerland that's the final 16 if you ask any england fan or any english pundit they are basically in the final if they beat germany I think they have pretty short memories considering it was an Iceland team that beat them in Euro 2016. So I don't think England are home and hose in any way, shape or form. If you look at that left or the right side of the group, the left side is very stacked. Um, And look, I'm not trying to argue that the right side is stronger than the left side. Obviously, it would be a more difficult route for England if they were in the left side of the draw with Portugal and with the rest of the stronger teams like Belgium and Spain and France. But, I mean, should Germany beat, should England beat Germany rather, you'd expect Sweden to beat Ukraine. And Sweden have kept a clean sheet pretty much the whole way through this tournament until that last game. And, you know, they are no pushovers in this competition. And you think if England go as conservative as they have been in the group stage against a conservative Sweden side, that has the makings of a really boring quarterfinal, but a boring quarterfinal that you can see Sweden actually coming through, in my personal opinion. If you look at just the balance of the teams, I think Sweden have been one of the strongest teams in the group stages. Maybe not the most exciting, but defensively and shape-wise, they're really tough to break down. So I think England could really struggle against them should they get past Germany. That's the thing. They still have to get past Germany. And whether Germany were disappointing in the group stages or not, they still hammer Portugal. So... When Germany turn it on, when they're playing their best football, and they probably could turn it on against England in the last 16, I think Germany could beat England. So I don't think it's an easy run for them at all into the final. Surprises from the group stages, I guess. Netherlands were very surprising for me. I thought they were going to possibly struggle to get out of their group. They ended up topping it. Surprising in the sense that they were much more exciting to watch. Frank de Boer's football is not generally like that, but they're a little bit more expansive than I would have expected defensively you still have question marks of them but in terms of pace going forward in terms of getting the ball forward quickly and 
just the distribution that they're able to provide to their front players from Frankie de Jong playing centre defensive midfield. I think uh, as, as somebody who followed La Liga for a long time, I haven't really been able to watch it over the last couple of years because obviously the channels have changed and you can't watch it on Sky anymore. But So I haven't seen Frankie de Jong play all that much for Barcelona, but from what I've seen in him here, he's just a really fantastic talent, just really good at winning the ball back. One of those weirdly good tacklers for a player who I would say is more of a distribution player, sort of like a Rakitic standard of player. So I was really glad that I got to see a lot of him in this tournament. Ukraine, again, not the strongest team in the tournament by any shape, but very fun to watch. Andrea Shevchenko has them playing absolutely phenomenal football. It's just like kamikaze stuff as soon as they get into the final third. They're not afraid to chance it. They're not afraid to play that final pass. Not afraid to shoot as well. So... They've been really excited to watch. In Germany, they're just surprising in the way that they are so chaotic. It's like one minute they're world class, the next minute they're absolutely atrocious. So it's hard to tell where Germany are at, but I think if they turn it on against England, they could beat England. In terms of disappointments, I thought Scotland were going to be better. I'm not going to lie, I was heavy on Scotland going into the competition. Too conservative against the Czechs in the first game. I know it's been a long wait for them to get to this tournament so that's probably what fed into it a bit Steve Clark was thinking this is what got me to the tournament but when you get to these tournaments you need to turn it on you need to go for it you don't have the benefit of having a second game against these teams you need to go up and try and win these games and I think he went way too conservative with his first line out obviously didn't have the benefit of having Kieran Tierney in the first game but not playing Billy Gilmore not giving David Turnbull any minutes in the pitch you know Nathan Patterson as well at right back a really good Rangers player really fast really dynamic James Forrest obviously could have been a a big difference in those games so I, I think the Czech Republic game is what killed them if they got a draw against Czech Republic it probably would have brought forward their momentum into the final two games of the group stages and they probably could have gotten something I think that was probably what killed them, the Czech Republic game. So disappointed in Scotland. Other than that, there's no real great disappointments from this. I know a lot of people are complaining about the final game and how there was no jeopardy, but I mean, <laughs> look at the Group F and how that ended. There is jeopardy when it comes to this final game. It's just certain groups are going to be finished before the we get to the last game. And I mean, that's generally how it is anyway. You usually know who's through as you go into the final group game. So I, I don't... I'm. <laughs> not the biggest fan of having the the third teams go through I would would prefer if it was less than four out of the six groups that had a third place team going through but I mean that's again UEFA have set this up they will say it is for to allow nations to get to these competitions but what it really is is more money in their pockets in terms of the favorites going into the last 16 I think Italy edge it over France for me I've watched a good bit I've watched pretty much every Italy game watched all the French games as well and I I think it's just the fact that the Italy team look more like a team to me and Nicky Bandini was on off the ball about a week and a half ago talking about the Italy team and how you know Mancini wants them to be a team first and foremost they don't want individuals they don't want egos and he is into this team that they are they are full on a squad and you can see that that you know there's players from Sosualo playing for this team but they are providing a lot of talent they're providing a key cornerstone of this this team whereas France you know they're full of superstars and yes they can turn it on and they can be magical but I just think that 
they've been sluggish, a little bit slow. I don't buy into the argument that Deschamps is too conservative with this team. I mean, he won a World Cup playing this style, but I just think that there's not enough movement for the France team at the minute. They need to turn it on. They need to lift the, the you know, the the energy levels a little bit going going forward in the competition. So I, I mean, if France turned it on, France still have the best team. Paul Pogba is playing absolutely phenomenal stuff, and you know. If you put it down to individual talent, France still edge it. But I think Italy, in terms of the way they're playing, the style of football they're playing, the energy levels, I think France would actually struggle to play them if they got them. And I think it's they'd be playing them in the semi-final now. So, I mean, it's disappointing that we won't get to see probably the two best teams in the final, but that's just the way the draw falls. So that is the Euro 2020 group stages coming to an end. I'm not going to lie, I'm not sure what anybody was doing for the last two days after the non-stop football before that, but... You know, we'll get through it. Football is back tomorrow, Saturday. So hopefully we will be flying through the last 16 and get an exciting last 16 as well. A few surprises along the way, I'm sure. We'll take a quick break here, but after the break, we'll be talking underage football in Ireland with League of Ireland Academy Development Manager Will Clark, followed by Derry City's Technical Director, Padam Court, and Shane Robinson, who is the Shamrock Rovers Academy Director. Stay tuned. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Now you're welcome back to Team 33. So we've got a panel for you this evening because it was announced that EA Sports will become the title sponsor of the EA Sports National Underage Leagues as the 2021 season prepares to get it underway. EA Sports has been a long-time supporter of Irish football, previously being the title sponsors of the League Cup since 2009, and this new partnership will see EA Sports sponsors all the League, Shield and Cup competitions across both male and female academy systems. Now, because of COVID restrictions, the three guys who were down at the launch couldn't sit down beside each other. So it is a panel, but they are done individually. So it's almost like a one-on-one, but they all covered the same broad theme of underage football in Ireland. First up is Will Clark, the League of Ireland Academy Development Manager, followed by Derry City Technical Director, Paddy McCourt, and finishing with Shamrock Rovers Academy Director, Shane Robinson. Now, the League of Ireland Academy Development Manager, Will Clark, joins me. Will, how are you getting on? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? This EA Sports sponsorship of the underage leagues is massive for the league, isn't it? Yeah, look, it's it's great to be honest with you to have a like a you know a brand such as EA Sports, you know, come in and obviously sponsor the league. And I think one of the the real benefits is, you know, when we when we spoke to EA initially, you know, they were really interested in terms of how they could actually help develop the league as well, which is, you know, really important in that, you know. So so we'd like to think that we'll develop the partnership over the, the coming years and that, you know, and hopefully uh, you know, EA will be with us and be a you know a key part of the future success of the, the underage leagues. Mm-hmm. The League of Ireland structure and the underage league has been something that's been discussed in, in in depth over the last couple of years, especially since Stephen Kenny took over the Irish team as well. As we sort of try to get uh, a, a feel for where we're at in terms of underage players in the country, so this the League of Ireland underage structure and the the way that it's set up. How competitive is that for an underage player? Is that the be- is it the best league in Ireland for an underage player to be playing in? Yeah, look, there's, there's no doubt about it. To be fair, um, like my previous uh, role would have been involved in a, I was the director of football of one of the largest schoolboy clubs in the country with St Joseph Boys, uh, and previously, for example, like you know we would have played teams around the country, you know, be it from Cork or you know Galway or wherever the case may have been, and we would always be you know slightly stronger or certainly more often than not. But I think now certainly uh, the fact that it's uh, the fact that it's a national league and you have all the best players, for example, in Cork playing for Cork City or you know playing for Galway United or whoever it might be, uh, it's definitely improved the overall playing standards. 
uh, and it's far more competitive, which is obviously very important in terms of obviously trying to develop players. Uh, so from that point of view, it's, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, it's the, the highest standard in the country. Mm. Yeah, the, the schoolboy debate is something that has, has been probably difficult for yourself to to get a, uh, get a hold of. But uh, in terms of the schoolboy versus League of Ireland underage structure, is there talks between the two of them in terms of how they develop as a maybe one one way system to developing the better players for underage uh, in Ireland? Because I guess the more people you have working together, the better the players will be, and the better the outcome will be for that for Irish football, really. Yeah, no, look, absolutely, and uh, certainly from our point of view within the, the League of Ireland departments, uh, you know, it's very important that we work with. Uh, all other strands of the game and obviously a key uh, you know partner in that really will be the SFUI and schoolboy football so uh, certainly from our point of view uh, going forward you know we want to try and develop a really good working relationship uh, with you know schoolboy football uh, in particular and that you know so uh, because ultimately you know we need everybody singing off the same hymn sheet here for to maximize the potential that does exist uh, and unfortunately you know we've it's been a little bit fragmented over the last few years but certainly it's one of our key objectives in the short term and um, you know, it's uh, it's something that we're looking forward to doing, to, to sitting down and working with, you know, people in, in all different strands, be it male or female or be it, you know, kids or, or, or adult players as well, you know, so it's a, uh, but it is important that, that we all work together and and even from my own point of view, you know, I think I'm in the, the role now uh, just under 12 weeks, um, you know, and certainly there will be a high level of collaboration between, say, the League of Ireland Department and the grassroots departments, high performance, international, so and I think that's one of the key benefits of the, the recent restructure within the, the, the FEI. Um, it's definitely allowed for a better working uh, environment, if you like, you know. So I think everybody would be more mindful of all the other different strands of the game, uh, you know. So it's, uh, but there's no doubt about it. We, we all have to start working together. Mm. Uh, we're going to maximize the potential. I think when people think about, about movement within underage, they always think of going abroad, going straight over the water. And it actually turns out that one of the biggest issues for this league is the freedom of movement f- across the, the country. It's really hard for these clubs to keep a hold of their younger players. For example, if, if a, a really, really talented 14-year-old is playing for Finn Harps, Shamrock Rovers might be able to offer him a much clearer pathway to development into senior football. So how do you... How, do you deal with that? What's the best solution to the um, the current system that's in place? Because I believe it's it's a ten month contract is the the longest you can give a yeah. certain age. So is it is it good that these players are actually have the freedom of movement in there? No, absolutely. And, and and to be honest, I wouldn't necessarily agree. Uh, you know, I, I think the key thing about it is now certainly in the past under the say the former schoolboy structure. Um, the better players from, say, outside of the greater Dublin area tended to gravitate towards Dublin, to be honest with you, and the, the leading schoolboy clubs. And mm-hmm. that was largely due to the fact that, you know, that's where you would have, say, the UK scouts would be, you know, watching games more regularly on a weekly basis and things like that. So kids, for example, from the Midlands or from, you know, Wexford or Waterford, or wherever the case may be, you know, they might sign for a Dublin club in the hope that they might be seen by a scout. Um, but the one thing that the you know the national league has done, it's actually in you know it's enabled kids to stay and play locally and to have the same opportunities to to progress. Um, again, obviously each club is different, and you know every club will have different objectives, and some clubs we would be more focused on, you know, um, you know I suppose uh, trying to help players through their own internal pathway, uh, and sometimes there's there's many reasons for that, you know. So you you know it could be financial, it could be you know, just the philosophy of the club, you know, so uh, each club is different in that regard, but definitely one of the positives of the, 
you know, the, the introduction of the, you know, the EA sports underage national leagues is the fact that kids don't necessarily have to leave their region um, for opportunities now. They, they can, you know, they can still have those opportunities playing locally. Yeah. One of the models that is always brought, brought up when you're talking about underage structures is the German model where there's a, a database of all, all the younger players uh, across millions of, of people. Is there something like that in Ireland? Are we keeping an eye on the, the players that might not necessarily be the, the best at 14, but potentially down at, at 19, they might be absolutely brilliant. So how do we keep a hold of players when we're competing with a sport like GEA as well, that they're, they're staying within the clubs, they're staying within the academies and they're developing with Irish clubs? Yeah, look, I think the key point to that is, you know, like a player development, you know, it's not necessarily like linear, if you like, you know. So, you know, the best player under 13 may not be the best player at under 18. Um, you know, so from our point of view within the FEI on a, on a broader scale, it's important that we provide opportunities for, all, for players of all ages and abilities at that particular moment in time. Uh, because as you say there, you know, it's important that we don't miss out on any, you know, late, uh, you know, like emerging talent, if you like, our future developers. Um, and I think it's, um, so, and, and, and that's another reason why we need schoolboy football in this country to thrive, you know, because um, it's important that, you know, that there are more options than just, you know, playing within the league at any, at any particular moment in time. Uh, so it's important. That's why we, you know, we need schoolboy football to thrive as well. And uh, because I say players won't always develop early, if you like, you know, and, you know, what's not necessarily the best player under 13, they may not be the best player under 19. So it's important mm-hmm. that we have, you know, all different sort of strands of the game working together in that regard to make sure that we don't miss out on any, any late developers. How is Brexit going to come up into all of this? Because the freedom of movement to the UK is going to be a lot more difficult and there's more stringent rules when it comes to younger players going across the water. So are you expecting a, a lesser amount of young talent moving across the water and staying within the League of Ireland structure? Yeah, absolutely. Look, player, players, you know, based on the, the, the current FIFA statutes and regulations on it, you know, players can't leave the Republic of Ireland and go to the UK until they're 18 years of age now. But that presents a massive opportunity for Irish football. Uh, so probably for the first time in our history, you know, we've got to take ownership of the development of our best players now. Um, whereas in the past, we, were, we probably were overly reliant on, on UK clubs, to be honest with you. Um, so, you know, Although it's 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 obviously changed now and the environment has changed, but there's definitely an opportunity now for Irish football really to, you know, to to take ownership of the development of our best players and you know and and give them the you know the the tools that they need to develop as a player here in Ireland. Uh, obviously, you know, still staying at home and things like that. So, uh, so look, there's going to be many benefits. Um, and again, it's just one of those things we just have to adapt and we just have to get on with it. And that you know, but certainly from my point of view and. Uh, within the League of Ireland department, we're actually excited about the opportunity of, of having players because it's also an opportunity for us to, to develop you know, the clubs and ultimately develop the league and, and make sure it's in a, a far stronger place than it is at the moment. Mm-hmm. This might be outside of your remit, so forgive me if it is and you don't have to answer it if it is, but I, I guess if you're looking at the balance of things across the league as a senior, uh, pers- from a senior's pr- perspective, Shamrock Rovers, Dundalk, you know, these clubs are, are, are much bigger and have the financial uh, boost of playing in Europe and throughout their years are just bigger clubs so how do the FAI help to the likes of Finn Harps or Cork City or Limerick City uh, to develop an, an academy for their club because obviously they have less money and less money means less coaches and less coaches means you can bring in less players so how, how does it balance out in terms of that? 
Yeah, well, look, really, like it's, uh, you know, from our point of view, there's like several areas, you know, one of the key areas that um, over the last sort of five or six years would be the introduction of the underage national leagues, because it obviously, the fact that clubs traditionally, uh, League of Ireland senior clubs traditionally wouldn't have had their own underage sections or their own academies. So, you know, the introduction of the EA Sports, uh, you know, underage national leagues now means that all of the clubs that partake uh, within the competitions they're more sustainable, you know, so it obviously gives the, the club on a local level, you know, uh, you know, a, a bigger footprint locally, uh, a stronger identity. Uh, and it also gives kids who are playing locally to, you know, you know, it provides them and gives them the opportunity to maybe aspire to play for their local club. Uh, so that's definitely been one of the, you know, the, the biggest helps to, to League of Ireland clubs around the country in the last few years. Um, again, obviously going forward now, I think strategically looking at the league in terms of how it can develop, you know, there's, there's obviously other areas such as, you know, uh, be it through facilities and uh, things like that, you know. So again, one of the, one of the other key, you know, uh, areas and benefits of the, the the FEI restructuring recently is the fact that there is actually a, a League of Ireland department now, which is obviously it's a it's a new uh, it's a new department. Uh, so we've a department whose job it is basically to develop the league now and to work with clubs more more closely and to help clubs develop and ultimately help the league develop. You know, so it's all those things that you know I certainly feel we'd be able to support the clubs. Uh, you know, to grow and develop and, and become more sustainable in the long run. Mm. And I guess finally, from an international perspective, this can only be good because, you know, it, it gives a platform for the League of Ireland clubs to put their best players forward. And I mean, if you look at the underage teams, the under 19 teams, you know, it's not made up of all the talent that's playing across the UK. There's players who are playing for League of Ireland clubs, playing starting for the under 19 team at the, at the minute and under 21s as well. So, I, I guess we can only see the benefits of that once these players are a little bit older. Yeah, absolutely. Look again, like the you know the the academy system, if you want to call it that, it's still in its in its infancy. Uh, to be fair, and I think it's certainly going to develop and get stronger in the coming years. And ultimately, what we want to try and do, you know, we, we want to make sure that we can put you know the right structures in place to allow clubs and allow coaches, you know, develop uh, players as best they can. Uh, and ultimately give them the platform to, to play and, and hopefully succeed at the, the highest level of the game. Um, you know, so as I say, you know, it's still a, a relatively, relatively new concept, uh, but it's something that is definitely going to improve over the coming years and it's going to get far stronger. And, and hopefully it's going to be, um, you know, it's going to be a, a really important, uh, you know, uh, key, uh, sorry, uh, cornerstone in terms of the future success of, of Irish football going forward. Well, let's hope so. Uh, Will Clark, League of Ireland Academy Development Manager. Thanks very much. Cheers, thank you. Now, I'm delighted to say that Paddy McCourt has joined me, Derry City Technical Director. Paddy, how's the form? Good, Enda. Not too bad, how's things? All good. So we're talking about football here, Irish football, and the underage structure in Irish football as well, because it was announced that EA Sports will become the title sponsor of the EA Sports National Underage Leagues as the 2021 season prepares to get on underway. Derry City is a club that is well-known for underage players and younger players coming through. And it's, I mean, if you look through the the list of players that have come from the club yourself, you came from the underage structure, James McLean, Barry McNamee, who's playing for Finn Harps at the minute, Michael Duffy, Ronan Curtis, Georgie Kelly, all these players at one point played underage football for Derry City. So I guess for a club like Derry City, it, it must be vitally important that this league continues at an underage level. It is, uh, you know, Incredible to, to hear the names that you just mentioned there off the top of your head who have all come through the system. 
Um, in more recent times, you have the likes of Jack Malone, Ronan Boyce, Brendan Barr, Keelan McLaughlin, who have all, you know, made good strides in the last year and a half, two years. So, look, it's vitally important for us as a football club that we continue the trend of getting people through the academy and under the first team. What do you look for as a club for an underage player to to be working his way up through the system? What's the most important characteristic? I suppose in the modern game now, you're, you're always looking at their sort of mentality and their character. Um, there's a lot of kids in, within the, the, the academy who are extremely talented in terms of their technical ability, but the ones that actually get you know to be a professional footballer and the ones that actually have a career in the game are usually the ones with the strongest character. The real mentality of you know I'm going to be a footballer no matter what nothing's going to get in my way and you know as they get older and, and as they get closer to the first team the ones that have that tend to come to the fore you know mm. I guess that leads me in, into an important question these underage leagues so it's under eights to under 19s really when you're developing a player are you developing them for senior football or are you just trying to make them as good as they possibly can be well, look, we, we actually don't start the under-14 level. We have under-14, 14, 15, 17s and 19. So, look, a lot of the work is is done for us by the the clubs within the city who have, you know, been doing it for years. Your Foyd Herbs, Trojans, TriStar, all fantastic clubs who, are, you know, have always brought great players through. When we get them then at 13, 14, we then try and prepare them the best we can to be a professional footballer. So, how they eat, how they travel, how they train, how they recover. That's that, that's the same right through the academy. It doesn't matter if you're 13 or you're 19. It's about getting into good habits. It's about being a professional. And it's about preparing them for when they are going into the professional game and the rigors of it. So, look, people come through it. It's not for everyone, but, you know, we believe that's the best way to do it. Mm. You obviously started your career at Derry City. Your hair was a wee bit longer uh, last time you were at the club than it is now. But having done that, having had your own career, having gone across the water and returned to your own club, what has changed in terms of underage development? What's the biggest change you've noticed? Well, certainly when I was coming through the the D and D at Derry when I was younger, Derry only had I think I think it was an under nineteen and, and a reserve team at the time, so. You, you stayed with your boys club a lot longer. I ended up going to Ratsdale at, at 16, 17. So there was no real underage structure at Derry at that time. You had, you had, you know, a, a very strong D&D. And then if players were good enough, they were, they were picked again to Derry at a later age, maybe 17, 18. So having the, you know, the benefit now of, of getting the, the children and the kids on at 13 gives you a lot more time to, they work with them, gives you a lot more time to prepare them, as I say, for being a professional footballer, and gives you a lot more time to actually, you know, instill your values of an academy into them, you know, in terms of respect, discipline, and and, and also, you know, just just enjoying your football too, because that, that's vitally important. The one thing we don't want to take away from from any any kids or any children playing football is the enjoyment, because that's why we all started. But it's about getting a balance of, you know, keep it enjoyable but also preparing them for ultimately what they want to be, and that's to be a professional footballer. Mm. I suppose balance is a good way to segue into this question, and it's a question that's been you know, in Ireland for as long as we remember, and that's diversity in one sport. Um, do you allow 
your children to play multiple sports? Do you want them to play focus on one sport? So I, I suppose the underage players at Derry City, would they be encouraged to to be involved in, in GAA and other sports that they might develop different skills and might bring that to football? Or are you looking for them to, to focus solely on football? No, we would we would never um we would never stand in the way of, of kids playing multi-sports. Um, I think there's great benefits in it. You know, especially you touched on GAA. If 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 one of our lads is training three nights a week with his GAA club and he's on with us two or three nights a week, that's only going to benefit in terms of his condition and his fitness. The one thing we don't, the one thing we we do ask is that it doesn't affect their attendance at training or their attendance at matches. So as long as it balances in and fits in with their schedule then we encourage it, of course. If it starts to become an issue where the same Gaelic team have a game on a Saturday and, it, and it's one of them ones, then we would insist that football becomes first. But look, it's not for everyone. Some people then decide that maybe Gaelic's more important to them. We don't discourage it, but we wouldn't, we wouldn't want it to be in the way of, you know, in their football as much as we would encourage to keep them going if the schedule allowed it. Mm. Derry City under-19s sometimes play in the Ulster Senior League against against senior teams as well. It's usually some of the, the younger players and the, the reserve players as well. Uh, how important is it for them to get first-team football against adults at a young age? Because I think there was there was an argument when, uh, I think it was Bose played a 15-year-old in senior football in the League of Ireland and people were wondering, is 15 too young to play senior football? So I guess, what, what's your opinion on that? Is it important to to bleed them young or to give them an opportunity to develop a bit further? Look, that, that completely comes down to the individual. Um, you couldn't have one rule for one 15-year-old and one rule for another. It's to do with how physically they're developed, how mentally they're developed. I'm pretty sure his coach at the time thought that it was the right thing to do. Now, the Ulster Senior League's great benefits for us because... You know, we can use it as a reserve game. We can get some of the senior lads who need some 90 minutes or we can use it as some of the, the under-19s or under-17s who we feel that need a taste of, you know, playing against men and, and, and that physical challenge before they step up to the first team. So, again, it's great benefits, but it does come down to the individual. In terms of going away, you're obviously a player that went across the seas to develop is that changing? Is that is that something that that's changing in Ireland that we're maybe encouraging players to stay that little bit longer if they can, or do you think it's it's more beneficial for them to to go when they when they get the opportunity? Look, very similar answer ended in my last question. It does come down to the individual. Um, There's certain players in our academy who I feel that would benefit from staying with us longer, and there's certain players that if they did take the path and choose to go to a a professional club in England or Scotland, then I'd be quite comfortable because I would I would look at them as being ready mentally and physically. Um, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer to the question. It's about taking it in an individual case of the player and also where he's at in terms of his, you know, his mental ability. Is he ready to really leave his parents at 16, 15 and a half, 16? Or could he benefit with, with staying an extra year or two and potentially trying to break through to our first team first? They then go on at a later age, but again, it's about the individual and about what their what their thoughts are first, and what we feel as a club would benefit them. And even at that, we can only give advice. They're going to make their own minds up, you know. Mm. I let it off a couple of players at the start who have come through the Derry City Academy. Who's a couple of players to look out for over the next couple of years? 
Oh, look, I wouldn't. I don't really want to put any pressure on anyone. I named a few earlier who have who have done really well. Jack Malone's came through now. He's a, a regular in the team. Ronan Boyce has broke through this year and been a revelation. I think he's three or four goals already. Young Patrick Ferry, very good. Um, Keelan McLaughlin, Brendan Barr. So look, there's a couple more who, who I've probably not even mentioned who are training with the first team most days. So there's lads there that are going really well. They've come in, they've bought on the, you know, the ethos of the club of you know about being a, a professional footballer and, and doing everything needed to do that. So look, without putting any pressure on anyone, there, there's there's lads there that were really happy with their progression. Mm. And just before we finish up, then. Derry is obviously geographically in a, a different place to most of the clubs in the League of Ireland. Do you think, do, do, do they have a bigger pool because of that, of younger players? Because, you know, maybe the likes of Shamrock Rovers and Bowes and the, the teams further down south in the country might not be looking at Northern Ireland that much. So, or are you also competing with the, the Irish clubs, Irish league clubs? Yeah, look, we certainly don't have a bigger pool because we have a lot less people. You know, if you look at the the amount of people in Dublin compared to Derry and the, the surrounding areas, mm. okay, you might have more competitors in, in terms of teams, but you're competing for far more players. You know, so we have to search very hard for the best players, and you know we have competitions from Institute, Coleraine, Fun Harps. There's always competition there. People are always trying to make their academies better. So. We just have to make ours the best we can, and hopefully, when the players come on it, we give them a platform to you know go on their football journey and eventually try and become you know a Derry City player. And as you mentioned, you've James McLean, Ron Curtis, some of them go on then they they be full internationals and, and and earn a lot of money in England. So look, that's that's for um, that's the ultimate goal I would imagine from for a young player, but. If we can get them through our academy and through our first team to start with, then you know we're doing our job. Adam McCord, thanks very much. Thanks, Enda. Shamrock Rovers Academy Director Shane Robinson is on the line with me now. Shane, how are you getting on? All good, Enda. Yeah, thanks for having so, me. So this is obviously a big uh, story for underage football in Ireland. It is um, a title sponsor for all the leagues and it's really welcomed, really, I suppose. Yeah, 100%. Um, great sponsor for the underage leagues, obviously. All the boys and girls uh, know and know of the brand, huge brand, uh, and I think yeah, they're 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 pretty excited to have it, have a sponsor of EA Sports as well because uh, obviously gaming is a big industry and a lot of them are involved in it as well, so it's pretty cool for them, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about football then and underage football and Shamrock Rovers in particular. It's been a big couple of years, I think, for underage football at Shamrock Rovers, most notably last season when the second team went into the Premier Division for it would give a chance for younger players to show what they could do at, at senior levels. But I suppose coming through the ranks at Shamrock Rovers, how important is it for the likes of Shamrock Rovers, one of the biggest clubs in Ireland, to have that academy base there, to have young players coming through all the time and coming through into the senior panel? Yeah, it's huge. Um, obviously, we've seen some of the, the fruits of it over the last number of years, but uh, we're only started as well, I suppose, four or five years into it. Um, so if you relate that to the age, I suppose, of the, the, the boys and girls that are part of the academy, we started under eight um, and work our way through to, to, to 19. So I suppose then the next step is the first team. But, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot of talent there within the academy. Uh, we work closely with 
a lot of partner clubs. So we've three partner clubs, 12 affiliate clubs, and uh, we're getting used to how that works and looks as well. So um, obviously we work with a small number of kids. Uh, we probably have around 20 in age, in age group. So from under eight to 19s, that's that's what we work with. Um, but then it's about trying to work with our partner and affiliate clubs to increase, I suppose, the, 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 the pure numbers that we do work with. I've spoken to a couple of coaches over the last couple of weeks about development in football. I suppose from under eights, it's developing the the basic skills of football. But when you're getting to under sixteens and above, I suppose that's when you're thinking, okay, these players are potentially going to play for this senior team. So, what what are some of the difficulties uh, getting people to sort of develop as a coach through those years as well? Because you can't teach an under eight the same thing that you're teaching an under 16 player. So is it structured in such a way that the under eights are learning so, uh, the basic things? So by the time they get to under 16s, that they, they can move on to the more advanced things. Is it all kind of linear? Yeah. So I suppose that's part of my role and part of the academy director's role, which is, is new, I suppose, in this country, but uh, figuring that out is each clubs, I suppose, uh, Goal. So we've we've looked at it different ways. I suppose I'm five years in, in in my role as well. But how we structured, I suppose, younger kids mastering their body at a young age, and then the ball, and then it's into one v ones, two two v twos, small sided games, and then I suppose as they progress, learning to play with their teammates. You know, but trying to simplify it as easy as possible for a coach and a player to that they understand uh, how a development pathway will will look from a young age to obviously first team football which is is the goal so different clubs throughout Europe do it different ways but I think the simpler the better uh, yeah. or for everybody because you're dealing with young kids and coaches that are uh, starting their journey as well so that that that's what we've tried to do and develop as a club over the last number of years is a, is a set kind of curriculum that is 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 quite easy for our coaches and our players to understand. So Irish football has changed over the last 10, 15 years dramatically. There's definitely a move away from the British style. So is there a pathway from under eights to under 12 to under 16s that they're all playing the same brand of football? Is it definitely more a sort of football based, getting on the ball more, passing the ball more? Have you noticed a change of that in the last couple of years? Yeah, hundred percent. Obviously, the the, the the game has changed, and I think the when we changed to play, say underage with five v five, seven v seven, nine v nine into the eleven side game, you could see a dramatic change in 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 the way the game was played. Now each club will have their their own way of playing. I suppose at Shamrock Rovers, we we have a way of playing, and I think that's uh, replicated with our first team in terms of the way they play. Uh, at senior level, um, and which wouldn't have always been the way in the league. Obviously, I've, I've played for the club myself, and uh, we would have had different managers with different styles. Uh, and the, the league is definitely different now, I think, to what it was um, ten years ago, which is a good thing. Um, with that, we 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 can't lose, I suppose, our our uh, identity either. That you know, we've always had that 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 passion and pride and, and willingness to to work our opponent, I suppose, um, as a country. and But obviously, I think that the main challenge for us is to become technically better. And um, that starts at the, the very start for me, like, you know, it's, which is why we we have our, our teams as young as eight. Uh, we, uh, we have a development academy four to seven. But 
it uh, it is one of the most important factors is what happens in the in the early years obviously it's fun and it's enjoyable but um you know creating those good habits that they do master the ball at a young age because that's the time where it's it's the child and the ball and that that's all they're focused on and uh yeah, we have a huge part to emphasize that side of the game and um, because if our players are technically better obviously they can um they can perform the tactical element of us later on uh, and, and and that's something that we are very conscious of within our club of not being over tactical in how we we do things but we're definitely looking for that technical player that individual player and uh yeah, that, that, that love for the ball, like, you know. I remember when Damien Duff was working with the underage structure at Shamrock Rovers, he spoke about the sort of frustration around the way that you couldn't have the players as much as you, you would want them to have, the same way as the English academies have them 24-7. The, the Irish academies just can't do that. So how, how do you balance that? How do you balance the, the life of a kid and also trying to, you know, build them up as a footballer for a professional football club in Ireland? Yeah, well, each club has to do the best they, they possibly can. So I think uh, it starts with facilities and having access to them more nights of the week than, than, than we do at the moment. But for that to happen is you need facilities in place to do it. So do you have an indoor hall? Do you have outdoor astro? Do you have your gym? Do you have everything in place that will allow you train because there's no point one team training more than 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 the next team we have we have kids from eight to, to 19 so what we do for for one team we do for all the teams so again if you add the mats up and try to get everybody training on one pitch uh, over the course of a week and you've got 14 different teams it, it simply can't be done without facilities that's the starting point uh, and I think as a club we've we've invested heavily in our facilities uh, I think we need to keep doing it to be fair because um yeah, we, we, we need more access to them. And the other side of it is working with our educational partners, I suppose, to, to, to work with our schools that uh, it can be done. There's no reason why it can't be done in this country that kids get the best education they can possibly get whilst the best education in football as well. It can go hand in hand. There is, mm-hmm. a, there is an appetite there from clubs to do it um, and it can be done I mean I think we need to stop making excuses that it, it can't be done it can and uh, yeah we have to go and chase that and do it and again it, that does come down to investment in, into the game Liam Scales is obviously a player that has worked his way up through the, the underage structure and is now playing phenomenal football for the, the Rover seniors team Kevin Zeffi is a player that people might have seen move from Shamrock Rovers to Inter Milan so there's clearly talent there and clearly talent coming through. Who are some of the names to watch as we progress through the next couple of years? I look, that is a difficult one to ask, I suppose, because there's so many, like, you know, and, and that is the debate that's there. Like we, we played uh, Finn Harps last week, Cork the week before, uh, across all our underage leagues. And listen, it's very difficult to pinpoint um, boys at that minute in time because uh, some of the, some of the kids that are, under the radar as such and don't have a high profile uh, like the likes of a Kevin who has just caught the eye of many people at, at a young point um, there, there's players that don't catch the eye at that point but go on to be even better players later on so it, it is about just being patient I mean there, there, there's boys there if you see our bench last night um, against Bose it's, it's, it's quite a young bench and some of those boys have real talent um, but again it's just 
educating them on and off the pitch as much as possible to be ready when the opportunity comes. So again, we like to refer to the likes of a Gavin Bazuna who completed his leave insert within our educational partner, Ashfield College um, School, uh, was ready for the opportunity when it came at, 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 at um, senior level and has gone on to show that, I mean, he's, he was more than ready to play for his country uh, only a couple of months ago. And he's been part of the underage system from the start. So he played under 15, 17, 19, uh, got into our first team at a quite young age, to be fair to him, but took his opportunity and was ready as a person. Like, um, And that's, that, that's important because he's mature enough to, I suppose, lead the line even as a keeper uh, and and you could hear him I suppose in the games um, that have been played recently without the crowds in, in the in the stand I suppose he's very mature for his age and, and that comes down to all the people that he, have been part of his development over the last um, probably five years mm. Well hopefully we see more players like Scales and Bazunu coming through over the next couple of years Shamrock Rovers Academy Director Shane Robinson thanks very much Thank you that was Shamrock Rovers Academy Director Shane Robinson there, Derry City Technical Director Paddy McCord and Will Clark who is the League of Ireland Academy Development Manager speaking after it was announced that EA Sports will become the title sponsor of the EA Sports National Underage Leagues as the 2021 season prepares to get underway. Stay tuned. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. That's all we have time for on this week's Team 33. Thanks as ever to you for listening. If you want to listen back to that show or any of the Team 33s, you can get them in the OTB Podcast Network, which is available in the OTB Sports app. You can get that in the Google Play Store or Apple Store as well. Just download it. You can subscribe to the Team 33 channel. You can read the Off the Ball articles and you can get all the podcasts there as well. It's a really handy app. One-stop shop for all the Off the Ball material. We will be back again next week. We'll have some Euro 2020 last 16 group stages to talk about. But until then, Ehoa, Slangafoil, August Takeaway, Johan. Johan.